We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome back to the Joshua Shaw audio experience. Firstly, thank you for giving me a bit of your attention. I'm honored you trusted me with it, and I promise to return the favor by giving you a ton of edutainment value back. I want to welcome you back to another episode of what I've branded Pivotal, since these interview-style segments tackle impactful CPG industry topics and lessons from the business leaders that live it every day. As we close out another year, it seems only right that I would focus this latest episode on both recapping some sports and active nutrition trends or themes from the last year, but also look forward to kind of predicting what trends or themes are getting hotter or maybe others that might be cooling off. Instead of just sharing my collection of categorical insights, I brought on my good friend and senior market insights analyst at Spins, Scott Dicker, to help me kind of make this content even more valuable. Though Scott covers a ton of different product categories for the data insights company Spins, the sports and active nutrition space is a personal favorite of his because of the speed of innovation and shifts in consumer behavior. In our conversation, we chatted about which sales channels are winning the categorical incrementality, how energy everything took off, why hydration is for everyone now, the creatine evolution, why precision fermentation is going to have a massive year, and how flavor partnerships might be hitting resistance. These are just some of the interesting topics we talked about in this episode, but without further delay, here is my recent conversation with the Senior Market Insights Analyst at Spins, Scott Dicker. So I know you cover a lot of different categories for Spins, and but honestly, I think we've probably crossed paths with each other at almost every be it trade show or conference that like I attend or speak at annually, and I know you're not Superman, or at least I don't think, I mean, you do have those like Clark Kent glasses on. So maybe you are, maybe I'm I'm misjudging this, but uh, what makes you like, so I guess passionate or like attracted to the sports and active nutrition category? Oh, thanks, Josh. And to answer that first question, certainly not Superman, Uh, (laughs) but um, you know, my background's in sports nutrition. So this is one, uh, you know, you mentioned, you know, we speak all over the country on pretty much every topics, you know, focusing on health and wellness and data and retail trends in general. Um, and, and I do a fair share of those myself. But what I really am passionate about is this active and sports nutrition. You know, my background, I studied nutritional science, nutritional chemistry at school. You know, I, I worked as a sports nutritionist for a while. Uh, you know, I had a few, uh, you know, entrepreneurial adventures in the field as well. So sports nutrition's really always been been my passion. And so it's great to to get to talk about, you know, functional food and beverages, things that help performance. And, you know, as I'm sure we'll get into, it's not just physical gym performance anymore. Uh, It's not just sport performance. We're looking at people are looking and interested in this huge change in value set uh, where the performance is mental as much as physical. 
you know, one of the things we'll get into, I'm sure, is this one of the biggest growth drivers is gaming, which is something that I certainly never considered sports um, <laughs> growing up, but it's, it's you know, taken a huge toll. And with that and adjacently, you know, there's also performance at work. So people are looking for things that are brain boosting. Um, and then all these adjacent categories, it's really in interesting to see how they, they fit in things like uh, mood support, stress relief, sleep support, um, things that used to be really siloed um, as diff different health focuses. We're now seeing them kind of folded into all these different um, performance related. And, you know, I, I said this, I think it's supply side that I wasn't going to call it sports nutrition anymore. It's active lifestyle nutrition. Uh, and, and that's really true. And, and the brands that are coming up are really being innovative. There's still so much room. Um, so it's really exciting. Yeah, I, I think a few years ago, I, I told myself I wasn't going to use sports nutrition either, but I, I always go <laughs> back to it for whatever reason. But we could try to limit the use of uh, sports nutrition. I, the word. I slip up on it all the time, too. But if you think about it, it really just doesn't make sense anymore. And if you look at, you know, all the brands that are selling, how their marketing has changed, how they position their products. Um, I know you and I are often nostalgic about some of those legacy brands and, you know, even a lot of their hardcore bodybuilding marketing on it. Um, and it's just not the case anymore. They know that the expanding audience is, you know, older generations, you know, not just, you know, young males. Uh, women are, are entering the conversation as well. So that marketing on these products and the positioning has shifted and, and much, all for the better, in my opinion. So I'm going to pull this back a little bit uh, just so people understand. Uh, Scott and I are going to do, I don't know, I'm calling it like a state of the union. And really, you know, this is just because it's kind of the, at the end of the annual um, type of cycle. But we're going to cover a number of different, I guess, themes, insights um, that we've seen over the last year. Also kind of look at the next year. If there's things changing, you know, arguably a lot of these things are going to be continuations or, or sometimes maybe strengthening or weakening a little bit. But we'll kind of cover maybe a few of those things in 2023 as well. But um, I'm going to be the polite uh, host and uh, let you kind of kick off first with a uh, theme that you kind of want to talk about. Yeah, so the, the first theme that I think is just really worth noting is how wide um, active nutrition uh, products has uh, spread. So it continues to be the fastest growing supplement category. Um, it, it will end this year, I believe, cross-channel. So when I say cross-channel, I'm talking about the natural channel plus the conventional channel. It'll be up just under 40% year over year. And we're not even seeing a lot of that due to increased prices, uh, which a lot of other categories, you know, all the growth is just from price increase. And so kind of the widespread, uh, you know, growth of this category just shows, you know, and we're seeing over and over again, and I mentioned it a bit in the intro, um, this, this expansion of the audience to, you know, from uh, bodybuilders to pro athletes to weekend warriors, to now, you know, everyone puts a you know scoop of protein in their morning smoothie, uh, regardless of how active they are. We're seeing, uh, you know, pre-workouts taken off, hydration products. People are finding it so impactful. And then, you know, just to to get into a conversation, a discussion. I know you and I have talked about, you know, one of the biggest trends we've seen over the past couple of years that's really come into a head is this rise in traditional sports brands um, moving their way from. Uh, traditional supplement formats like pills and powders over to the ready to drink space. And they're doing so in such a disruptive way that's not just in these specialty stores, um, but they're really hitting all the mass market ways. 
And so they're do, they're doing that with a lot of innovation. Um, and so I, that's one of the biggest trends I've seen is this new energy drink space uh, where it's really competing with what used to be, you know, a uh, pre-workout slash, you know, very sport-centric energy drink space. And so that competition is huge. Yeah, I think a lot to unpack there. I think one of the first things you said about just, you know, where these products are getting sold, and it's not just in, you know, the traditional areas of, of retail, if that is specialty, which I know you guys do also kind of cover at Spins, um, you know, e-commerce. But I think it's a little bit of like, if we're talking incrementality of the category, a lot of that is going towards some of these like large um, retail channels and large retail partners being somebody like Walmart or, you know, if it's Kroger or, or something like that, where consumers, because I think they're being much more broader in their intents and, and the shoppers are arguably more mainstream and, and where they shop is is at mass retailers and at, at grocery stores and they are you know searching those sections and the merchandising has become much more um you know the breadth of it and the depth of it has been um elevated extensively over these last couple of years that people are shopping for if it's performance kind of protein powders at grocery stores or mm -hmm. is it at costco or, or whatever and, and that's not to say that you know uh, gnc and a, and a vitamin shop aren't still um, doing quite well in these yeah. uh, in this last year and and Amazon as well. I mean, I think that's still the you know the 800 pound gorilla type of situation. I think it's somewhere around what uh, 10, 11 billion dollars estimated in, in the sense of um, their sales level and and even a few percentage point growth year over year is great um, for some of sure. these categories that we're talking about. But I think that's kind of an interesting thing where like the you know the stickiness of the COVID era everybody's shopping online that now it seems like it's unraveling a tiny bit where you're having people shop for these products in the more mainstream large sales channels um and a lot of that you know has to do in a perfect storm with what you were kind of mentioning with you know hydration product i mean that yep. to me like moving it away from like sports drinks and into hydration is like you know this effect and then similar what you're talking about with some of this like energy um, moving to you know powders are still doing extremely well but also into these ready to drink kind of areas people, I mean, like all of this stuff is just like more, going yeah. you know <laughs> yeah and then just to 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 add on there i think one of my biggest surprises for this year was actually that shift back to brick and mortar for shoppers um uh, and so you know one of the things we check we track amazon sales on amazon uh, we track through you know all the all the uh brick and mortar channels and what we saw was you know this this huge shift back to brick and mortar um and so i i think we ended the year off i i'm they're going to be close on the statistics if not perfect i believe 85 percent of the growth for all of the vms department came from brick and mortar uh in in 22. and so that's obviously you know a, a big change from what we've been seeing the past couple of years where most of the growth was coming from amazon and other online and so <clears throat> You know, one of these things was that that you mentioned it, the permanency of this COVID uh, lockdown shopping changes uh, was kind of overstated. And so people are, um, I think, you know, the Shopify CEO has this great quote um, and this great graph that shows, you know, that in 2020, 2021, online shopping went up like five years ahead of where it was supposed to be. And now we've really, it's really right back on the curve of where it would have been had there been no lockdowns. 
Um, so it's it's really regressed back to that. And, you know, I always have to caveat, I'm not by no means like predicting people are going to stop shopping on Amazon uh, or online or anything like that. But we are seeing uh, one that people still like shopping in stores. Um, and two, we'll see, we'll start to see, you know, more, you know, just more modest growth. It's, it's not going to jump ahead these these huge uh, jumps it's going to go and it shows like really how strong some of these these curves are um, where you know a few years of getting back to uh, easing of restrictions let's call it um, and that that trend kind of uh, went back to normal but then I also think um, you know part of it's also that these stores these stores ha have caught on that people want a lot of these products yeah. and so as we talk about you know what's available in the stores you can't walk in any retail store that sells uh, consumables and not find natural better for you products anymore um, and so you know you can't really I don't I don't want to understate the selection uh, assortment of the of these retailers playing a role where a lot of times you used to have to go online to get get a lot of these products um, or a you know specialty store, but now you can pick it up you know with your groceries um, and in the natural channel of course you'll have some more like organic options, but also in every mass retailer every club store you have these options, um, so that's going to just eat into um, you know some of the growth online as well you know just having these products available. No, we, we took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. You touched a little bit on like the energy drinks and, and just kind of how that's evolved with, um, you know, what you would consider traditional sports nutrition brands now getting into some of those formats. And I want to broaden that up even a little bit more and, and think about this concept that I talk about quite often around like energy, everything where like, you know, there's so many different options to get that spike of caffeine. Um, if that is, you know, going to your Starbucks is that, you know, doing something at home with your Keurig machine is that uh, mixing up a pre-workout powder is that uh, an energy drink or whatever that is. I think that that is all kind of morphing together or converging together in this idea that like there's so many options. Um, you know, there's different reasons that people pick different product categories or, or different formats. But the big trend, I mean, I think that everybody is, is kind of seen as like people are wanting more energy uh, for whatever reason. And I don't know if that has to do with some issues on the back end of like poor sleep, you know, those types of things that are playing yeah. into needing to have some of this stuff. But you're seeing like all of those categories, you know, continue to grow. And, and I know we want to stick to probably more of the package side, but like the energy drinks category, if you look at any of the grocery categories, and I know I'm, I'm going to miss some outliers, but like far and away, it's been consistent that it's had volume growth and price growth throughout the, the, yeah. the entire year, which has been baffling, I think, to even somebody like me that covers energy drinks a lot, as I'm like, how is this not stopping at, the, at this point? I want to second that. And, and also, like, I, I see it in my own behavior now. I used to, you know, have my powdered pre-workout always, and I still have a tub of it in my you know, in, in my cabinet, I, I, I used some this morning. Um, but, you know, now more often than not, I am grabbing one of those, you know, canned energy drinks, you know, be it like uh, the Cellucor or 
Uh, I like the ghost ones. I see your hoodie there. Um, and so some of these other ones that have really positioned themselves more as performance and they're having some ingredients beyond just caffeine, uh, you know, I am switching to to that for some of the pre-workout and, and we're seeing, you know, is there a limit to caffeine? Um, I keep waiting for kind of the the next uh, stimulant to really stick um, because there has to be there has to be a limit to how much caffeine people are going to have or maybe there's not. Um, but uh, you know, I, I keep wondering. You know, a lot of the a lot of products that do well, you know, they they pair they pair caffeine with these other nootropics or or uh, you know other herbal stimulants and things like that. But we haven't seen one one really really take off. There's been some that have found niche success in like a certain pre workout um, here or there. Um, but it's it's going to be interesting to see if any of those can really. Uh, you know, take some of the take some of that edge off, so people aren't just uh, you know caffeinating uh, from from wake up to 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 go to sleep, and you know maybe that's they pair it with some nootropics to get that brain boosting. I know a lot of uh, those drinks that we just talked about are doing that, uh, but maybe it's it's a different st stimulant that's gonna kind of come come find hold. I know there have been a lot of introductions recently, but none of them have really, and again, due to cost, but uh, none of them have really found as much footing. Are there any that, that stick out to you? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a, a few, and this maybe transitions us into, you know, the esports or even, you know, the work, uh, you know, students, you know, slash like high performance lifestyle that beyond the the gym aspect when we're thinking about if it's focus or energy or cognition or something like that. And you, two ingredients that kind of always come up in my mind, and, and this is like new level from, from Nutrition 21 that I know is, you know, fairly uh, focused on the esports side. And then something like a Cognizant that's kind of more broader. I think that they've, they've kind of used that ingredient um, in, a, in a number of different kind of applications or focus or intense. But I know that like those two kind of pop up to my mind. Again, I don't know if they've they've hit that you know critical mass where people know from the mainstream exactly, but I do think they're starting to kind of catch on a little bit within certain crowds, and you know, hopefully those first adopters can you know tell that story to people and you know actually expand that a little bit and help that momentum a little bit because I do think like to your point earlier, you're mentioning about like how far do we push caffeine, um, and when we're talking about a lot of times these new entrance into the categories um, on the energy side, like, you know, Sally from Iowa is drinking Diet Cokes. That's to her yeah. is energy. Um, so when she jumps into something that is 200 milligrams, that's insane to her. And yeah. then if she jumps to something that's 300 milligrams, that's just going to be like probably problematic to her. Um, so <laughs> there needs to be, you know, a, I, I think we've pushed that limit a little bit. I think it's time to go backwards a little bit and go more of a, you know, a, a moderate caffeine level. And then, you know, thinking about these nootropics, something that's going to give the person drinking it something a little bit more than just that spike in energy. Yeah, yeah, they knew they want some other uh, feeling. But, you know, on the flip side, this huge uh, burst in energy, everything has all has led to a, another big trend that we saw this year in the rise of non-energy functional beverages. So these are drinks that people are having to, you know, calm down, uh, to help with sleep, for stress and mood support. And so, you know, we see that younger generations, they're not drinking as much alcohol. They still kind of like that nightcap and that drink of feeling special. And so we're seeing, you know, a, a big bump in functional beverages that are, are for, 
you know, stress relief. Uh, you know, we saw that it peaked for a little bit with CBD. Uh, you know, CBD obviously ha has fallen, uh, fallen on some decline the past couple of years, but we are seeing it in some functional waters, uh, show some pockets of growth as well. Um, but also ashwagandha has been, you know, a huge ingredient, other things like magnesium and L-theanine, uh, which I love when theanine is added to, you know, energy drinks too. It usually yeah. uh, really takes off any crash as well. Um, but, you know, we're seeing a lot of these drinks, people want that specialty feel. It goes hand in hand with the, the rise of non-alcoholic beer um, as well. So a lot of these trends are overlapping, uh, led by, led by, you know, active, active brands or sports brands, whatever we want to call it. Um, but if you see how, how the rise in this new consumer base for, for this category leads to the growth in so many other categories, or if maybe, maybe leading is, is the wrong way to say it, but contributing and being adjacent to a lot of these other trends, it really shows uh, just how big of a role and how much consumers are looking for this uh, functionality in pretty much everything, everything they consume. I know I've mentioned this to you um, in conversations before, and, and maybe I've even mentioned it in, in content, but I've, I've always said that I think like, sports nutrition has been the, you know, the epicenter of influence or, or culture for the broader CPG industry. And, and it's always been kind of like hidden a you know, below a bunch of layers of, of stuff and people probably didn't notice it. But in these last couple of years and arguably this year, the most is that you can really see that you see that the broader large CPG um, looking at some of these really edgy, you know, and I say edgy not to say, say that they're doing anything wrong from a regulatory standpoint, but just like, you know, the way that they're approaching innovation on product and saying, hey, there's there's some stuff here ingredient wise or, or concepts that are actually more uh, applicable to maybe some of these other categories. Like you said, if it's non-alcoholic, maybe the nighttime, um, you know, the sober curious crowd or, or whatever those uh, individuals are. And, and you think about them kind of reframing or repositioning some of these concepts and taking and obviously, obviously kind of throwing a bunch more gasoline and, and the ability to understand how to market um, to, you know, more of the mainstream customers and kind of taking and running with some of these things. I, I found it to be super fascinating just kind of how all this is, has evolved because there is so much like just intertwining and, and intersections of these products that are happening that you can see that all started really from, you know, some niche category that was from performance nutrition. Yeah, I mean, we, we've been seeing over and over again and across the entire store of this, you know, we call it the conscious consumer. And so the number one kind of bucket of the conscious consumer is good for health. And so there's a few other things that and we could dive into them if you'd like, but it's good for the planet that we're seeing boost up, good for animals and good for people. Uh, but, you know, the, the major bucket there is still good for health. And so, you know, what people used to think is, oh, I'm not, a, I'm not an athlete. I don't need to eat like that. Uh, now, a lot of people are realizing, you know, I do want to, you know, perform my best, whatever performance means to that individual. Um, and and everything is a, a conscious decision what they're consuming. And that's not to say that there's no room for things like indulgences um, or conventional products, but those are more more than ever still being consciously chosen for that indulgence. Um, you know, they're saying, you know, I want to treat myself to this. Oh, I have that nostalgic feeling for this. Um, and it's not as much mindless eating, you know, as there was in the past. And so this this good for health 
even plays a role in these non-functional products as well. So to your point, you know, you could kind of connect the dots, um, especially when we talk about innovation. Yeah, I don't want to get too far off track on these non-functional things, but I mean, I think that one of the um, things that I mention often is that not not every product um, in the world needs to have added adaptogens. Um, you know, like we can yeah. leave some of these treats to their own and just kind of appreciate them and, and have them when uh, when they're appropriate. You know, obviously don't eat a whole 12 pack of a Twinkie or, or something like yeah. that. But, uh, you know, we don't need an adaptogen filled Twinkie or, or maybe maybe we do. <laughs> maybe, just, maybe some maybe. people do, but not <laughs> everyone, certainly. And to your point, it's like, Especially, you know, one of the other trends that that we want to get in, people are are being uh, more conscious of the dosing in a lot of these products. Uh, so, you know, we, you know, we used to call, I forgot what we call it, like fairy dusting, like the yeah. or sprinkling in, like the just to put it on the label. And so you're seeing more and more people with the open labels, uh, the transparency is becoming, you know, important to more and more consumers. And so if you're getting a full dose of whatever adaptogen or super mushroom is in your your puffed snacks um, or or something like that, uh, you can only have one of those a day probably, or or you're you're not searching seeking it out. So if everything has some of these ingredients, you know it actually will limit some of these consumers uh, because if you are really devoted to you know one of your one of your vehicles for getting that snack. Uh, it might actually hinder you from from getting that second one, or you might switch it up every day. So um, I think it's a fine balance, but I totally agree. Not everything needs to be uh, functional to even to appeal to that conscious consumer with their values changing. Uh, you know, it, as long as it you know appeals to maybe their certain diet tribe that they're following, or again, just nostalgic. Don't don't underestimate nostalgic buys and indulgent buys because people will always always have a place for that. I want to talk about something we haven't mentioned, but I know it has been a huge kind of trend um, throughout the year, and that is kind of creatine. And um, it's funny for us to talk about, you know, if we're, we're talking trends and themes, uh, and we're talking about one of the, you know, the oldest ingredients in uh, sports nutrition, but it's evolved in the sense of who's buying it, why they're buying it. And it's just taken on a mind of its own. I mean, I know a lot of people point to like, the power of TikTok and and how that's created, you know, the introduction of creatine to a lot of maybe new consumers, um, younger and, and upwards, and, and kind of reframing it into something different where there's a lot more females taking it, where it used to be one of those things, a little bit like females stayed off of it because they thought, oh, it's going to bloat me or, or whatever that is. And then now you're seeing it, you know, being studied um, with elder um, individuals and, and how that's moving with baby boomers kind of aging and everything. Yeah. But, um, you know, I just want to kind of get your thoughts because I know like from my side, I'm seeing that ingredient and in, in both from like the supply side, obviously having a bunch of issues there, but also just the pure demand and how it's sustained um, and kind of morphed into a bunch of different things. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought up creatine. That was actually next on my list to bring up. Uh, this is actually one of my big, one of my, I don't know if it's out on limb, it was on your mind as well. Uh, but I think this is going to be uh, explosive, explosive growth over the next few years with really a lot of acceleration that happened in 22, but it's still at a, a smallish scale. But you know, a lot of acceleration happening in 23. You know, and I, I kind of, uh, you know, compare it to what we've seen with ashwagandha in the past mm -hmm. couple of years. This is an ingredient that's been around, you know, forever. 
it's well pretty well known and just in the past few years it, it was i mean in 21 it was the top trending ingredient uh you know across the board and so i think with creatine you could see similar impacts uh you know a few things you know with your TikTok analogy we've seen across every category the the power of a ingredient going viral on TikTok. i remember hearing stories from some uh founders where you know a celebrity used their their brand of of product, uh, they just used the product whether it was for you know while they had while they were sick or something, and then the next day, the next few weeks, they they sold out sold more of that ingredient than they did the entire year previously. Uh, we've seen interest instances that I, I talk about sometimes where someone used made an avocado rice bowl. And they use uh, QP mayo, which is a Japanese mayo, um, and then that mayo that mayo went up like a hundred percent. You know, the next week. And the the interesting thing is that it, it still maintained growth even after the virality went away. Um, so you know, it was introduced to so many new customers, and and a handful of them were repeat buyers. So it actually elevated the growth long term as well as just that short term spike. And so circling that back to creatine, you know, I think. The combination of it going viral on TikTok, uh, but more importantly, you know what you mentioned—the research being done on women. Uh, women used to stay away from it, and part of it was that the research was only being done on men, which was, you know, uh, not not a, a good thing, right? Limits half half them. That perception that creatine would make you huge, uh, which I always kind of laughed at, because you know if, if that was the case, I would I always say that with creatine or with protein. Women used to be afraid of it. They thought it would make them bulky. If that were true, every guy would look the same. Uh, there'd only be one product being sold at stores and you'd have a line around the block the whole time. Um, so you're seeing that going on as well as the, the new research into the long-term cognitive um, effects of uh, benefits of creatine and you know aging populations especially. And so I think there's a ton of room for creatine to really uh really take off and find new success and i know you know you on the supply side you're really in touch with you know i know the uh you know the supply chain issues and the price going on with that so that could potentially be a hiccup but it's gone up a lot in price this past couple of years and we we've seen uh increase in demand also there so i'm not sure what your thoughts are on that uh but you know creatine for sure is a the the king of sports supplements you know that everyone has been trying to replicate the efficacy of it um, with millions, I don't know, maybe not millions, but lots of ingredients. Uh, and so I think it, it has the benefit of being so studied and, and uh, yeah, I'm really bullish on creatine for the next year and next five years, especially. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those ones where it's, whatever we saw this year is going to um, expand extensively because I still think there's a ton of room. And, uh, you know, I always go back to like, if I'm looking at maybe some of these trends and we're looking at mainstream markets, um, you know, I grew up in in Northeast Ohio and, and I'll start to like ask people that I grew up with, family members, things like that. I'll just kind of throw out little ingredients or, or, or products or, or whatever brands and see what they say or if they say anything or they're like, what is that or, or whatever, because yeah. that really helps me understand like, where is this hitting? Um, how How deep has this trend or theme hit? Because think we get caught up um and this is no kind of um you know throw shade at, at the coastal elites but I, I definitely think that like you know you get a lot of people um 
pundits or, or thought leaders that are you know based in LA or they're based in uh, New York or Miami or something like that, and, and they get to see hubs. some of this yeah. stuff like you know speed up much quicker. Um, so they're like, hey, this is taken over, which is you know maybe correct, but not for another like five years. Uh, so oh, yeah. you know some of these things that you know if it's creatine or whatever, I mean, I still think there's huge amount of legs left um in this because i i definitely have, have kind of checked my sources from, from some middle america type things and people are still like you know still thinking about that from like the older um tribal knowledge yeah, there's that there's that meme that i used to love it was that guy it's, it's talking about how creatine was a steroid uh and so i think you know you still have to get past uh some of that but i think we're close to it uh creatine i think uh you know the formulation you know how how it works in in liquid form, you know, and ready to drinks. I think is something that that will you know hopefully be figured out uh, in a in a better way. But I think you know again with ashwagandha, you saw the supplements surge. Um, you saw the different the different vehicles of it, and so so creatine. There's certainly and probably even beyond monohydrate, which um, you know the, I think there's opportunity in this growth for other forms of creatine. To really um, stake out a, a claim as as a premium uh, product, uh, creatine monohydrate, you know, is, you know, quite frankly, it's still what I use. Uh, yeah. But I think um, I think there's opportunities for a lot of these different types of creatine, as well as monohydrate, to to really expand to new audience through education, or or just to get more viral virality on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like the. Uh... It's like the Dr. Oz effect on steroids. Like I it feel is like exactly that's a Dr. Oz effect. Yeah. <laughs> Before we um, kind of transition into maybe some things that we think, you know, could be, you know, accelerated or or um, decelerating in in 2023. Um, is there anything else on your list that you want to talk about about 2022? No, I think that transitions nicely. Um, you know, obviously creatine is one that we're talking about for the future, uh, but you know, getting more into the future. You know, I, I think, you know, one of the things that's going to be disruptive is that, you know, precision fermentation. I think, you know, as we've seen whey protein, you know, been king for, for a long time. Uh, I think, uh, and of course, it's still whey protein, uh, but precision fermentation, I think that's going to, to start to play a role um, as we talk about proteins um, this year. So, you know, would love to, to get your thoughts on that. I just, I've been at you know, so many conferences this year of so many uh, different, uh, you know, audiences and and topics, and they all seem to be really interested in precision fermentation. So that just like makes me think, you know, this is the year, uh, you know, we've seen a few products introduced. I, you know, I know, I know that there's some uh, precision fermentation, non-dairy dairy out there in ice creams and milks and whey proteins. Uh, but what are your thoughts on that for the next 12 months? You know, I. People might think that we uh, shared our lists and, and stuff before this, but we didn't at all. Uh, and honestly, that was number one on my list of, of kind of things to talk about in 2023 was the idea of just, you know, precision fermentation, both in its, um, I, like refining its its unique selling proposition um, to the public. Um, I think that there's, you know, things from a business case that makes a ton of sense long-term with these, um, because one, it, it it really provides a lot of opportunity to um, super target certain things um, or also create a scale um, at, at a price 
that would not necessarily be as influenced by some of the commodity markets um, oh. and things of that nature long term for as a you know as a business case. But I think that you know in the short term, consumers don't necessarily care about a lot of that stuff. They care about maybe the sustainability um, element. And I know yeah. you you said that's kind of one of the the cases that you know people are thinking about the the planet and also thinking about you know if it's if it's animal rights or, or animal feelings or you know what whatever the yeah. people are calling it at this point. But it's the you know like what's good for the animal, what's good for the world or the, or the um, planet. Um, and you think about how precision fermentation can, can improve on some of those things and why that's going to be, um, you know, really good. I, I honestly think, you know, we're talking about this probably from the protein side, which I think is probably the one that's led all of these things at this point, yeah. you know, if it's the perfect day, um, like you said, it's, it's a cowless way, or if it's um, what the every company's eggless or, you know, egg protein but you also have even like um, the emergence of like these sweet proteins that you're pulling like exotic fruits um and pulling like a sweetener from it but actually it's a, it's a protein so your body would absorb it differently or you can pull honey that doesn't come from bees because of a lot of what we're doing to the um environments of of um, honeybees and and things like so there's so many opportunities for this technology which is a very old obviously technology but it put in a different way and framed in a different way and looking at a different, you know, kind of usage for it. But I think what we're seeing now is like, I would say we're not even at the batters like box, like, you know, swinging, getting ready for, for the next at bat. Like we're, we're not even probably driven to the stadium yet for the game on this stuff. This <laughs> stuff is like, and if people are lost on my baseball analogy, I'm, I'm sorry there. I probably botched a little bit, but I, I think that it's uh, one of those things where like, we're, we're so early on this. And this is something that is going to move away from like people thinking it's Jetsons type stuff into like a very usable, important technology. Yeah. And just to, to build off that, you know, it's one of the things where I think, you know, the first, the first thing, uh, you know, people think of is they're, they're a little weirded out, right. When they hear it, and they also associate it also with, you know, the, the cultured meat, uh, which is, I guess, similar, but but not, right? Yeah. Um, but I honestly, like, for this year, for the introductions, I think one of the things that it has going for it is that consumers don't know about it. Uh, you know, when when you look in the ice cream case or the, or the milk case or some of these, you know, it's not really clear. You know, you, you see, you know, whey protein or you see ice cream. It's not super clear all the time, you know, whether you're buying it, you know, if it comes from, you know, animal free, animal free or whatever it is. And so I think that's that's a way to, you know, get people introduced to it. They're already consuming products and then kind of build on the education as well. I'm I'm usually never for a lack of transparency. And I'm not I'm not saying that these brands are are not being transparent, but to consumers who aren't uh you know, really staying up to, up to date on the latest in food technologies. You know, it's not very clear that that this is anything different from the products that they're um, already consuming. And I think at the at the beginning of this wave, which I I do think that this is going to be a wave unless something comes out that's really out of left field. Um, you know, I, I think kind of that that ambiguity actually helps uh, helps get buy-in as long as you know, of course you know, the taste and, and has to be a has to be there with these products. Uh, but this is going to be a major disruptor. I, I, you know, it's not going to be, uh, you know, in terms of dollar volume, really, it'll be a drop in the bucket this year. Yeah. But I think you're going to see the high percentage growth in, 
And I, I also bring this up because we actually have a new attribute in our product intelligence that's tracking these products. Um, and so I, I'm really curious to, to be able to identify and watch these and then watch how, how the category grows. Like, do people, you know, what other attributes do people care about on these products? Uh, and so, so this is something that's going to be making a lot of noise. Uh, you know, it made headlines in 22. Um, I think we're going to start to see percentage-wise it making you know big jumps in 23, and then beyond it, it, all the ingredients are there for it to carve out significant market share. Yeah, I think that you guys tracking that will be interesting for me to you know kind of pull some of that information too because I I know so many different categories if it's if it's even what we talked about before with like energy everything you know you're having some of that beanless coffee um, things yep. or if it's performance nutrition or if it's just conventional categories and are you know, consumers noticing are they are the, you know who's buying it or is it the the person that's mainstream that's like hey this tastes just the same and you know i, I feel like it's it's providing some benefit um in some of those uh, areas or is it you know a bleeding edge kind of first adopter person that's like out there searching for those products um but you know to your point i mean we're talking about this and, and i know people are gonna be like well it's not you know going to um make much of a material impact to the overall market. We get that, but the point, the point of the, we're bringing this up is that people should be paying attention to this. Like if you haven't heard of anything we're talking about, you know, spend a little bit of time after this piece of content and just kind of search out some of that information because you'll start to see like, one, there's a ton of money getting thrown at these startups. Um, so arguably these products are going to start to come out there because they have the firepower to do that and they're going to have the marketing dollars and kind of the support levels to to um, actually work from a b2b level and, and get these products out there because it right now if you work with any of these i mean the technology it hasn't got to a scale where like you could buy conventional whey protein for cheaper per pound or per kilo than you can for um, some of this stuff but because they have so much um you know, uh, venture dollars behind them, for sure. yeah. they can, they can close that gap and, and that's going to get people to uh, brands to, to, to launch products and, and use that material and, and kind of get going. So I think it'll be, I think it'll be interesting just to kind of see. And, and I think to your point, just from how many products launch would be interesting to see from you guys tracking some of those like attributes, because I think that's going to be maybe where we see the biggest kind of change is maybe not the dollars initially, because there's going to be a little bit of that, um, you know, bullwhip effect type thing. But yeah. I think initially with launches, I think there's going to be a ton of them that are going to go on to market. Yeah. And I can tell you a few weeks ago, I know we talked, I just had come back from a week where I was at uh, an unconventional agriculture conference in Minneapolis and then Nash in Santa Monica, two very different, you know, Two very different uh, conferences. They both had sessions uh, dedicated to precision fermentation. So this is on people's mind. Uh, you know, we're it, it's going to be a disruptor. I guess the question is how soon it becomes a disruptor. Yeah. Um, but you know, if again to your point, if you're not aware of it, you should be aware of it. Uh, you know, we'll obviously help help you track some of that stuff as well. Um, but but it's going to be great. And, you know, the messaging on it, you know, sustainability is, is a key, key trend. You know, a lot of times you see people pulling back on things like that in times of economic uncertainty, you know, high inflation. We've still seen sustainability, uh, you know, attributes being a driver for a lot of consumers in a lot of these categories. Um, so if they could, you know, the messaging on that can get can get worked out. That's another another big play.
I want to stick on the sustainability thing for a second because I think that that is something that I think even last year I mentioned it in my like year-end trends that the sports and active nutrition industry would do a better job at joining the rest of the CPG industry in its um, kind of shift towards better sustainability um, practices. Yep. And I don't know if we've, you know, seen a, a huge jump in that. I do think we've seen um, you know, people trying to figure out how do we do that and what's, you know, some of the packaging elements and and kind of even just general messaging and, and trying to, um, look at sustainability different but the category as a whole has been i would say a laggard comparable to the rest of the cpg industry and maybe that's arguably because they can um, hide behind big cpg that's that's a huge uh, problem at this point that's getting all the you know attention and the, and the air is getting sucked out of the room by them um, but i i do think like overall sustainable if it's packaging or if it's just you know, procurement of ingredients, like we had just kind of mentioned, I, I think that is going to be a trend that picks up steam in, in the next year. Yeah. And so, you know, we've talked a lot about a lot of these trends, uh, you know, overall industry trends start in, you know, sports and active or functional, and they bubble into to the rest of the, the store. But this could be one, you know, that happened the opposite, you know, where a lot of, you know, food and beverage with no other uh, you know, added functional ingredients, so to speak, you know, but they're starting to use upcycled ingredients or they're sourcing using regenerative agriculture or organic, you know, organics kind of table stakes for a lot of these consumers now. So I don't, it's not, I don't even want to say it's a driver. It's certainly important, but you know, it's, it's just, it's well known now and it's a table stakes for a lot of these consumers. Uh, but you, once you see some of these uh, other categories, what they're doing with the sustainability, it's going to bleed over to your point. Um, forgot what I was, I one more point I wanted to say, uh, but yeah, oh no, I got gotcha. you. So as we take a look at this, these buckets of this, of the changing values of consumers, you know, I mentioned that, you know, the big, the biggest one is still good for health. Um, and whatever that means to people that sometimes that means following a diet. Sometimes that means functional ingredients. Sometimes that means clean label or no artificial ingredients. Um, but that's still the number one driver. So a lot of these functional brands, uh, to what you said, they, they could, I don't want to say hide behind that, but still focus on that. And I do believe, you know, focusing on your core is the most important thing. Uh, but it's going to become more and more important. And once, uh, you know, some major competitors start, you know, bubbling up with a lot of these sustainability attributes in the categories, you know, it's going to be, you know, a wake up call. So, you know, it's better to get ahead of it now. Uh, as consumers continue to increasingly look look for it, especially millennials who are becoming the heads of household right now, uh, you know, with all that purchasing power. I want to think about a, a trend or a theme that was, you know, kind of exploded in this year, but where I at least see it maybe, let's say slowing down for a number of reasons, and that's some of these um, like flavor partnerships. Like that for, you know, was the, you know, arguably one of the main kind of trends or themes that that happened, um, though it though it's been happening for for a few years. But like this was a year that like people just tried to grab whatever they could, uh, and um, it was kind of a land grab. But I, I do I do see like kind of three things at least from my mind. Like what could slow this down? I think firstly, you have some of these CPG portfolios that also own you know, performance energy brands or acquiring them, starting to look at their IP portfolio a little bit differently and saying, hey, 
maybe we shouldn't be licensing these things out to other brands when we own brands that could use these. We could co-brand products. We can kind of keep it in the family. I think Post and Bell Ring Brands probably does the best at that or or was the first to do that. Um, But you're starting to see even I think Mondelez over in the UK maybe start to dabble with that or, or whatever. And you're starting to think about like, hey, maybe we should look at some of these ones that we've acquired. Maybe there makes some sense here. I think another one is that because there's so many of them coming out and there's only, and, and we're talking about most of these being used in the ready to drink um, kind of, if it's energy drinks, or if we even think about this as uh, protein drinks to a little lesser yep. extent, um, and also maybe hydration in the next year, um, you think about like those, those obviously do not sell as well or, or in a meaningful level in channels that are outside of these established ones. You need convenience, you need mass, you need grocery, or you need, you know, club. And, and there's only so much space on these shelves. If you have 15 yeah. products in a, you know, category, you can't have 15 of them be flavor partnerships. So there's only a, sm- like, you know, a finite amount of space that's going to be available. So then it's going to be this idea of like, which ones are maybe regionalized that make the most sense for some of these uh, uh, retailers? Is it, you know, there's some storytelling aspect. Maybe it's just that it's the biggest brand and you know you got to have them on your shelf or, or whatever that is. So you're seeing that as like a, I think, as another one that like, it, it just can't keep going that well. And I know like people say, well, the, you know, the, the endless shelf on, yeah. on Amazon. Yeah, you could keep doing it. But these these products that, and the brands that are launching these, they have aspirations that are well above, you know, trying to sell a couple million bucks on Amazon. Um, so to do that, they need to be in these spaces. And then thirdly, which I think is um, you know, something that just came out, um, was something that a a um, organization that kind of is a watchdog, consumer watchdog around. And it's like you have my checklist, Josh. Yeah, and, you, and, you, <laughs> and I don't, here's here's where I think this, like, I'm, I'm going to end up making a deep piece of con- content on this, and, and it's probably going to be a, a very counter to what a lot of people are thinking about it. But I, I mean, I don't necessarily think that this does anything to the sales of these uh, companies, because really, most of them are not doing what this organization says they're doing. But what I think it does is that when you are walking into a meeting with a new buyer at a large um, retail organization, they're going to ask you that question because they are thinking about this from a liability standpoint um, and also a, you know, we don't want to have a product on shelf that's we're going to have to get rid of, or we're going to have to, you know, wherever, when these types of, kind of legacy retailers, like they're thinking about products when they bring it on shelf, they want that product to be on shelf for years, not, you know, switching in and out like you can do online or whatever. So that just creates like a little bit of the, mm, like you, you hesitate a tiny bit, which I think all of these things together takes that trend and, and people, you know, I think from a number standpoint, we're going to still see a bunch of them come out, but I do think from like an impact level, everything's going to like subside in the next year. I, I totally agree. And once again, it's like you had my list of things I wanted to go over because flavor, I mean, this is this is huge. And and so it gives that recognizable flavor, uh, you know, to to a lot of these brands in the new space. Um, but I agree with you. There, there's got to be a limit to it. Um, I wonder if you no, know, I think a lot of brands would have success doing limited time offers on these. You know, making them kind of special access to drive people to their, you know, their their D2C site or or some something else. 
but you're right. It can't all be, I don't want to pick on any specific examples, but it can't always be, you know, nostalgic flavor, nostalgic flavor, candy, candy, cookie, right? Um, of these things in the shelf. And especially, you know, we're, you know, especially canned drinks, you know, the discovery is still happening so much uh, in store. Uh, they're more expensive items. So people probably if they buy them online, they're going to buy, you know, a 12 pack or a 24 pack even. Um, and because they're more expensive items, they probably want discovered in the store first, you know, a lot of times. And so, you know, a lot of these flavor partnerships, which undoubtedly drove a lot of the growth, um, you know, it really helped a lot of brands, you know, gain gain footprint and and kind of uh, consumer equity um, in this. But it's it's uh, it's got to be a limit. I love your point. I didn't think about that. The ones that are being acquired or, you know, have relationships with large CPG kind of utilizing that. I think that that's a great thing as well. Um, and then uh, I think I hit on all your points. But yeah, there is a I agree, agree across the board. I don't think it'll be, I don't, it's not going away, um, but I think there's a limit to to the success on that for sure. It can't be, the, can't be we're not going to be here at the end of next year talking that that was a growth driver pretty much. Yeah. So just like I was uh, polite and let you lead off, I'm also going to let you close it out. So <laughs> what, uh, you got anything else on your list? I uh, know we, we went, we went a, a long ways. Um, I think that you know, when it comes to kind of these adjacent things, uh, we we hit briefly on ashwagandha, but uh, you know, look for different adaptogens to start to to take a role. People are becoming familiar with that term. There's a lot of other you know long time ingredients that have had their moments and have been steady since then in the adaptogen space. Uh, nootropics, I think, are, are are real big ones. Look for people to try to, and these are just all my quick hitter things now. Uh, look for people to try to, you know, prove efficacy of combination ingredients and not just, uh, you know, bank on a single study from a single ingredient. Uh, so I think that's going to be a key trend. And then, man, functional, I think, I think is here to stay. Look for, you know, I, I talk often the last of the junk food categories when we look for, uh, you know, functional foods as well. Uh, so things like soda, we're seeing that rise in, in you know, pre and probiotic soda. Look for, uh, you know, other functionalities to them as they move to kind of decrease sugar as well. And then candy as well. I think, you know, there's there's uh, opportunity for that to be a vehicle for different supplement ingredients as well. Uh, and not just like the, the two gummies, but like, you know, it could be like, you know, your snack that has the like a full serving snack. Um, I, I think that those are things to keep an eye out for. Um, and I think those are all my quick hitters. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Josh. Uh, really appreciate it. And always good chatting with you. Yeah, definitely, Scott. Thank you for joining me. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast episode. If you have any comments or questions about anything I discussed during it, open the podcast episode notes and click on any of my social media account links to reach out to me directly. 